Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with veteran Austin-based jazz musician and artist Margaret Slovak. We had a good talk about COVID life, music, and her new 2022 CD, Ballad for Brad, that is named after her husband. She is originally from Denver, Colorado, and began playing guitar at 11, composing at age 14, and performing professionally at the age of 16. She spent some quality time at the Kansas City Art Institute and has a great story about a performance she witnessed with Pat Metheny that made her pursue music full-time. She was she was full of grand stories. Enjoy this interview. Thank you for taking a minute out. I really enjoyed your album, and I'm looking forward to talking about A Ballad for Brad. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So before we get into this, you know, it's been a weird two years on planet Earth, and I'm wondering, how did you do during COVID? I mean, for artists particularly, this was a, a really meager time, I think, for live performance and things getting turned upside down. So how did you do over this time? Well, it was a challenge in many ways. Yeah, I mean, I would say seven-eighths of my gigs were canceled for almost two years, including, you know, during the day I do a lot of playing in cancer centers and um, elder care residences and hospice and hospitals, and all of that was, you know, canceled because, um, you know, just due to precautions, they couldn't allow anyone in. And, and actually, a lot of those places I still can't go in and play, like the cancer centers, so all that got wiped out. Um, most of my live gigs got wiped out. I did some things kind of like, you know, in a corner, like 50 feet away from people, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, and I did some playing for people in uh, senior care residences on Zoom and on um, just through the iPhone, through FaceTime, just one-on-one. -on -one. So, you know, I was able to do some performing that way. I mean, one of the things that um, it did enable me to do those two years is it helped me to be able to finish this record because <laughs> I normally um, I was doing gigs like, you know, five, six days a week during the day and night and just running around all over the place. And it really um, gave me the time to really focus on, on finishing the CD and doing all the, you know, the post recording work on it too you know the liner notes the i do all my own artwork for the cover and the insert and everything and so i did make use of the time you know due to the cutback of the live performances but the other thing that was a challenge is that my my husband is um an ongoing cancer patient and you know he's gone through treatment in the last couple of years for recurrence of his cancer twice he's had two recurrences in the last um two years so we had to be extra careful with him because his immune system was compromised. So it made me, you know, less likely during the, the height of COVID before the vaccines were available. I had to, we were just really had kind of a lockdown here because we just had to be really careful with him. And unfortunately, he did end up getting COVID in the middle of cancer treatment in last October, which was very difficult. But so it's, it's you know, COVID, I mean, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but it, um it's just been such a difficult time, and my, my heart is just breaking for all the people. You know, I lost an uncle, I lost a cousin, I lost several friends to COVID, and I know a lot of people that lost parents, you know, siblings. It's just, it's just been devastating, and I still take it very seriously. I mean, I am back to live performances now, but I still distance, and I wear a mask, and, you know, I'm still very careful, and um, I'm quadruple vaccinated, <laughs> so, but yeah. it's... um. Yeah, that's a long answer to your question, but yeah, it was it was a challenge, but it did enable me, like a lot of musicians and artists that I know, um, to really be able to focus on getting some long-term projects completed, and that that's you know the one thing I was I was able to do that I'm I'm not sure I would have had the time to really get it get it all done um, if I hadn't had a little bit of a, a lockdown, you know, with 
from all the the constant flurry of um, gigs and rain around everywhere. What are you hoping the listener gets from this new album, Ballad for Brad? What's uh, what what is it that you ultimately hope they get from it? With all of my recordings and all of my music, and every time I play, whether it's in a hospital or a jazz club or for a hospice patient or a noisy restaurant or a noisy bar. I mean, the bottom line for me is I, I really just hope that people get something emotionally, spiritually from the music that can just kind of help them go to a different place. I mean, I think music really is a calming force for the world and especially with all the difficulties we're going through now. And this, I mean, this CD was kind of a combination of newer compositions and compositions I'd written many years ago that I wanted to hear in the, do in the trio format. And all the songs, each song was written for a particular person or an event or something that really touched my life. So I, I guess the bottom line is I, I just hope people are touched by the music in some way. That's my whole thing about playing music. It's not about, I don't want someone to say, oh, that's a great, you know, flat nine she played on that C7 chord, or that's a, you know, a great run on that or something. I mean, that's fine if people do that, and I appreciate that, but it's like, ultimately for me, music, writing music and playing music and recording music is all about just touching the listener. And so that's my, my greatest hope is that people will somehow be touched by the music um, within that CD. So you're originally from Denver, and it looks like you have spent some time at the Kansas City Art Institute. I did, and I, you know, I noticed I was looking on your wonderful website, and you're, you're like the Renaissance man. You do everything. You're an artist, a photographer, a poet, a radio host. You know, when I was you know, elementary school, I was really into art. When I was in middle school, I was really into art. I started playing the guitar when I was about 11, and all the way through, you know, junior high school, middle school, and high school, I was equally into art and music. In fact, my senior year in high school, I couldn't decide whether to go to college for music or art. Um, I got a scholarship to the Kansas City Art Institute, and so I went there my first year, and it was it was incredible. I mean, I was it's an incredible school, and I loved Kansas City, but I also was equally into music. So I went at the same time I was going to the University of Missouri Conservatory of Music, which is right across the street from the dorm that I lived in at Kansas City Art Institute. And so I was going back and forth between the Art Institute and UMKC, taking music classes. I played a jazz ensemble there. I took a composition class. I, and it was it was wonderful, but it was it became apparent to me at the end of my freshman year that I couldn't do both things justice. I couldn't put in the hours I need to put in on each thing, the art and the music, simultaneously. I mean, to do it that year, I think I slept about three hours a night. <laughs> I was <laughs> always practicing in, in the studio, doing the artwork late at night and getting up at like, you know, four or five in the morning to practice. And I had a wonderful roommate at the dorm who didn't mind me getting up and practicing and, you know, wee, wee hours in the morning. But it, it just, I mean, I loved Kansas City Art Institute and it was great. But I, I kind of made a decision at that point. I said, you know, I think I need to just focus on music. So... After my freshman year at KCAI, I went back to Denver, and I had intended to go to uh, a music school that that fall in '81. But I had another accident um, when I was 19. I was working in a pizza restaurant. I got my right hand caught in a dough rolling machine, injured two of my fingers on my right hand pretty severely. So I had to wait out a year, um, let that heal. I stayed in Denver, and then um, I went to uh, Seattle, and I attended the Cornish Cause of the Arts for four years, 1982 to 1986. 
and that was a wonderful school too. And I, I kind of, I didn't do any painting for about two years, my first two years at Cornish. And I missed it so much around my junior year at Cornish when I was full time studying music. I, I realized that when I wrote music, I would see colors and images and shapes. And I just got a canvas and I started painting again. And I started to do a process in which I would compose and paint simultaneously. I mean, literally, I would have the guitar on a strap around my neck, and I'd be sitting at my easel painting, and I'd have the music stand next to me with the music paper. So I'd just go back and forth between composing and painting. So I started to do that in my junior year in uh, college at the music school in, in Seattle. And, you know, after I got out of music school, I started to do it more. So I, I haven't had a lot of time to paint you know, the last 10 years or so, but I still do it. And I, you know, I've even done my first record, had a painting inside the insert for every song that was on the CD. And that, again, there's a long answer to your question. I went off in about eight minutes. But yes, I loved Kansas City that year I was there. I mean, the music was incredible there. I mean, I was only 18. Um, I couldn't get in everywhere and I was so busy, but I did get to hear some great musicians there and it was really inspiring. I think the thing that really helped me make my decision to leave art school and go to music school full-time was um, about halfway through that year at Kansas City, I went with a couple of friends from the art school. Um, we went to, uh, oh gosh, I think it was, is it Jefferson City? Right in the middle oh, there. Yeah. We, we drove one night to see Pat Metheny play. And I'd already seen Pat a couple times in Denver. But we drove and we, we saw his concert there at, uh, and it was just incredible and it just blew me away as every time I would hear him live, it, it would blow me away. And I, that night I just thought, you know, I, I really want to go for music full time. And so I, you know, I finished out the year at the art school and it was hard. I wish I could have done them both. And I found a way, you know, later on to kind of bring that art back into my life. But, um, but it was that, that pivotal night hearing him there and just going, I just want to go full, full time for the music. And that's, that's kind of what turned it around. But that year in Kansas City, I, I loved and I still have a, soft spot in my heart for Kansas City. I've only been back once since then, and um, I just, you know, loved it so much, and I love the, the musicians that I heard there, that I met there, and, you know, it's just a very vibrant music scene with such rich, rich history, and... Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's wild how, how I'm a magnet for Pat Metheny's stories. When I, I really did a lot of interviews over the pandemic, I had moved to his hometown of Lee Summit in January right. of 2020 before everything closed down. So I've even gotten to a point where I'm like, hey, I'm in Lee Summit. Let's just go ahead and dispense this. What Pat Metheny story do you have? And I've heard so <laughs> many Pat Metheny stories. I mean, I myself could probably compile and put together an entire anthology of Pat stories. But the one thing about your history that I noticed was healthcare settings. And I've got a quick story. My day job is as an IT guy in a school district, and my wife's a fifth-grade teacher. And one of her teachers from high school she got reached out to a few years ago because she just lost her husband. Her husband was an artist. And oh, when, sorry. And, yeah, and, and, but, but during that time, she's healed and she's a wonderful person and, and things have kind of moved on. But during that time, I would get all these CDs from jazz promoters and I would record them down digitally and I would have them all in shelves. And I'm like, I, I just can't hold on to these. I need to give them out. So I went to the Kansas City Hospice here and I gave them away. And oh, wow. I'd get notes back from them, and they would take them and play them for patients. And they didn't have much jazz, so they were appreciative. A little while back, probably about a year after that, um, my wife's teacher pulled me aside and said, I just want you to know right now, when my husband was in the throes of hospice care, 
they were playing those jazz, those jazz CDs that you dropped off. And I was thinking, it was just mind-blowing, like how things uh, in life work. And yeah. I was thinking about you doing this in healthcare settings and how important that is, how music is in itself a healer and a comforting source for people. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow, that's an amazing story. But yeah, yeah wow. especially how... So how did you get, um, how, how big of a, you mentioned that already, but how big of a part uh, of that uh, being in healthcare settings, putting music out there for people, how big of a part of that uh, is in your life right now? Not as much right now because some of the places are still um, not allowing musicians in, you know, especially the cancer centers. They have to be so careful, people's immune systems being compromised. You know, I first started to play in hospice back in 1994 when I was living in Portland, and I came to that. I had a friend, a wonderful flute player in uh, Portland named Cheryl Alex, and we had a gig one night for, we were just doing like a background gig for a Christmas party, just flute and guitar, and her dad was actually in a hospice in Portland, and, you know, she said, oh, I've got to go see my dad after after we play, and I, you know, the weather was kind of bad, um, I think she had some car trouble or something, so we ended up taking my car, and I went with her to the hospice, and it was a residential hospice, and so we went in there, and we actually, pl- we played for her dad, you know, he loved it, and the hospice setting there was just, it, it put such an impression on me that I, I think, you know, a while later, I ended up going there, and I started volunteering there, playing in, I think, 1994, and that led to playing in, oh, it's another long story. I shouldn't go into all of these. But um, when my 1999, my mother was very sick and she was in an ICU in Denver. She was intubated. She, you know, she couldn't talk, but I knew she could still hear. And so I would take my guitar in and play for her in her ICU room. And I did that for several days. And sadly, she passed away. And that, you know, inspired me to feel like, wow, an ICU could be a place that music could be used too. And I started to volunteer in an ICU in Portland, and that led to playing in the cancer unit there. And then I was volunteering like four days a week, and I was having trouble paying bills. So I started to get some grants um, in Portland to help, you know, give me a little honorarium for some of those situations so I could do it more and, and still be able to pay my bills. And I still did some volunteer, but it led to then another contract with another hospital um I ended up playing when in Portland. I was at four different hospitals, and I was basically doing it five or six days a week. I was playing in, you know, trauma units, neurotrauma units, ER, ICUs, just about everything you could think of. And it was an amazing experience. And then I had I had the car accident in 2003 in Portland, where I injured my again my right hand, my arm, my shoulder, and the nerves under my brachial plexus. And it um, it's really taken me about 20 years to recover from that. I had eight surgeries, but after 2003, my condition of my right hand and arm, the, the function was so bad that I just didn't feel like I could really play in public much anymore. And I had to adapt the way I played. I couldn't use my right hand fingers. I just used adaptive pick device. And so I started just playing full-time in healthcare settings. I really didn't even play in public for probably... Gosh, over ten, over ten years, because I just felt like I wasn't, my function wasn't good enough to play in public, but I still felt like I could put the heart and soul into playing for people in healthcare settings, and that kind of kept me going. I think if I hadn't had that, I probably would have would have just quit. And I had a couple surgeries in Portland, and I thought those two, I had one on my hand and one on my shoulder. I thought that was going to make everything better, and so I decided to move back to New York again, where I had lived for five years in the late eighties, early nineties. And when I got to New York, my hand and arm function just got worse. Um, I ended up finding the great doctor there who ended up doing six more surgeries on me. 
including the, the latest one in 2014, which is on, on the nerves under my brachial plexus, which it took another six years to heal from that. But I, I've gotten about, I'd say, 90% of my hand function back finally, and I can play fingerstyle again. I was able to record this CD. But um, so I did, you know, I was doing a lot of, when I moved to uh, Austin in 2012, and that's another long story about how I ended up here, but <laughs> I immediately started playing in uh, senior care residences and hospice and um, some hospitals, and I, I've, I've been doing that quite a bit. But I also started to play more in public when I got here. Um, started to play in restaurants and bars and private parties and art galleries. As my hand continued to get better, I've really started to play more in public. And so I'm kind of finding a balance now between the healthcare plane and the public plane. I love them both, and I, I want to do them both. The healthcare plane is probably still a little bit less right now, still due to COVID restrictions. Also, just me needing to be extra careful, you know, with my husband's immune system being compromised due to his cancer treatment. So I'm probably not playing in, like, the bars as much right now and stuff, but I'm still doing the healthcare thing plane. I love it very much, and I, I think I'll do it all my life. I think I am with this CD. Um, I would love to try to uh, do a little touring again, which I used to do before the car accident in 2003. I used to travel and play in different cities and you know different places. played in Europe a couple times, and so I'd, I'd love to try to start doing that a little bit more. I really love you know traveling and playing for people in different places, and I'd, I'd love to start doing more trio gigs. Um, I do a lot of solo work in Austin, and that's you know a lot of the places I play. There's the space for the musicians so small they <laughs> they can't even fit more than a guitarist in a corner, you know. And and also with the healthcare settings, you kind of got to be mobile and get into just a hospital room or a hospice room or a you know. So I I do a lot of solo work, but I really um, I hope to uh, start doing more trio and and duo and quartet playing and, and some more touring too to balance that. Again, another very long tangent-filled answer to your question. <laughs> That's fine. No, you're filling in a lot of gaps for what I was going to ask as follow-up. So everyone has a perception or an idea of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you live your life. Who do you think yes. you are? I am a human being who um, uses music and art to, to reach people's spirits and souls, I guess. I mean, I'm, I've never tried to be a jazz star. I've never wanted to be a jazz star or a any kind of, you know, famous <laughs> entity or anything. I just, um, I love music. I love playing. I love composing. I love painting. I love playing for people. I love I love being able to um, connect with people through music. You know, that's, as a, as a creative person, that's kind of who I am. I mean, I also, um, you know, equally, I'm, I just try to be, a, you know, the best human being I can be, just be there for people in my life as much as I can. And um, I think music is kind of a, conduit to help us you know we can reach people through the music but then also kind of have more of a human interaction with them too um i remember i remember the first time i actually saw this another pat the first time i actually saw pat play live was when i was 16 and um had gone to he was playing in colorado this was gosh it would have been 1978 i think and he was playing at a Keystone uh, in a, in a ski resort up in the mountains. It was very snowy. And I went up there with a bunch of people, and we got stuck in the snow trying to get up there to the concert. So we were we were late. We got there, basically, and he was playing his last song. It had been a big blizzard, you know. And and somehow, I don't know if he, he heard or somebody, they, they heard that we had just gotten there and that, you know, um, we'd gotten stuck or whatever. And I don't know if he'd heard that or if he just did it, but he played like three or four more songs. 
as an encore. So we got to hear more, and and it just oh, it was so amazing. And it was such a a small place. I don't even think they had a PA. I, I kind of remember it was like they just had like amps, you know. And it just blew me away, and I was just like, I I just remember feeling like I'd just been transported to another planet or something, you know, just hearing the music live and like that was just so beautiful. You know, whenever I would hear Jim Hall, I would have the same thing. It just completely, the first note would just go right into my heart, you know. So that's that's always been my goal is just to be able to, if I can reach people, you know, touch their hearts with the music, that's that's the main thing. Um, Another long tangent-filled answer to your question. No. (laughs) That's great. And I'm probably asking less questions because there was so much that I think we covered here. But Margaret, thank you for opening up about the album, your life and music. It was great to get to know you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much, Joe. I really appreciate your interest in music and I appreciate your support. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Denver, Austin, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Margaret for her time, music, and story. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com and for all things Joe Domino, go to joedomino.com and if you feel like it, you can donate to the cause of Neon Jazz, keeping us going and burning bright into the future via PayPal or Patreon. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.